And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real, man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 135 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today is, well, just Michael Schwartz. I am so lucky to be here. You know, this is just, we're doing a quick show today. Two of us, we're going to breeze through everything from this crazy week. Yeah, I mean, it was a little scary this morning. We were supposed to have more people on. Uh, the site ran into a technical error that kind of pushed off today's recording a little bit, so some people were unavailable. But I've got you, Michael. Just you and me. Just <laughs> you, just me. Oh, God. Every time you sing, it always gets me. Right in the heart. <laughs> well, Michael, uh, first thing I'll ask you, question I always ask, what did you watch this week? I know last week you didn't really watch anything. Did you watch anything this week? Yes, we're making improvements this week as I saw one movie this whole week. Oh my gosh. Okay, let me take a guess which one it was. You contributed towards the $70 million opening for Jordan Peele's us, didn't you? Yes, 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 yeah. yes. There was nothing else I saw, but that's the one I had to make time for. And? I liked it. I didn't love it. I think it has a few... I don't want to say issues because that just sounds... I don't like the sound of that, but you know... It's not a perfect movie in my mind. Not that it has to be. I like the ambition of it. I like the tone. I think his direction was superb. I just don't think it was as tight a movie as Get Out, but that's okay. I think he was trying a lot of interesting things here. I agree with you on that, actually. I do think the level of ambition is definitely a lot greater. Uh, his skills as a visual storyteller are also uh, greater in this. There's there's a lot of stuff that you can tell uh, has is a bit of an improvement from Get Out, but you're right in the sense that that screenplay is something that, you know, to be totally fair, I don't think you can crack it on one viewing. Oh, absolutely not. And I might go see this again in a couple of weeks. Like once the first viewing settles in my mind and I feel like I'm able to go back and reassess. But I definitely liked it. I gave it like uh, I would give it an eight out of ten, I think. Oh, that's what we did, too. Uh, across the board on our podcast review, every single one of us gave it an eight out of ten. Yeah, it was very good. Mm-hmm. The tension was terrific. You know, I just felt like. I knew what this movie was going to be, at least from the trailer, or the, that like I was watching for the first 45 minutes, and I kept waiting for it to go in a different direction. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so maybe the whole movie is just based on what we had in the trailer, and then it finally gets to those turns later on. Right. It just felt like it was taking a while to get there for me. Mm. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. Uh, so this week, I saw a lot. I think I saw at least a movie a day pretty much from Sunday up until today. Today's my first day. I don't have a movie. And so it's been a very jam packed week for me. Uh, I saw hotel Mumbai, which I liked it, but I could totally see the argument that it's, it's very violent. I mean, like very scarily. So to the point that it almost becomes offensive, 
you know, you're watching these innocent people get gunned down in a very horrific manner, and there's nothing left up to the imagination. It's all very visceral in your face. And I, I do believe that there's only so much like an audience can take in terms of just watching a complete and utter massacre of human life. So it was very intense. But the other thing, too, is that the storytelling of the movie doesn't really do anything different that we haven't seen before from movies within this really horrific and unfortunate genre. And so as a result, I think the movie's just kind of average. It did make me cry, though, at the end, which is one full point <laughs> higher on the Matt Neglia scale. So I, I, I had to give it a uh, six out of ten as a result. Uh, but I liked it. I liked it overall. I, I didn't love it, though. Uh, then I saw Dragged Across Concrete which is a new film from um, S. Craig Zoller. Okay. And he's done uh, Bone Tomahawk, and he's done Brawl in Cell Block 99. Oh, I saw Bone Tomahawk. That was, ugh. Uh, well, th- th- those are two movies that, like, from a grindhouse kind of a standpoint, I-, I appreciated for what they were. I thought they were just, like, teetering that fine line of both of them being serious, but at the same time, definitely very genre in their depiction of ultra violence and masculinity. problem with Drag the Cross Concrete is that it's almost three hours long. It's two hours and 39 minutes long. Oh, dear. And it's Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson playing two cops who both get suspended by uh, Don Johnson, who's like their superior officer because they were rough on a suspect and they need money for personal reasons. And it's just enough. It's it's nothing new. I feel like we've seen this before. And. The, the storytelling tropes were all very familiar to me. Once again, uh, Zoller is commenting on like male masculinity and there's a, definitely a message because there's a, a never subplot involving uh, two black characters that kind of crystallizes at the end. But I do think it's just too little too late uh, by the time we get to the end and Zoller makes his ultimate point about the story. And for me, it was just a complete slog to get through. I see no reason why this movie had to be as long as it was. And it really, really tested my patience. Literally nothing you're saying about this movie is selling me. No, no, no. And I, I don't think it should. Uh, you know, I understand why for some people it will definitely work. And I do think that Zoller still has promise as a director. I just think he got really carried away with this one. Uh, of course, I saw Us. You can listen to the podcast review for my thoughts on that. Uh, I saw this indie horror film called The Wind, which was kind of like a demonic uh, supernatural film set within the 1800s American West. So that was pretty cool. I, I thought to myself, like, I'll check this out. You know, a, a Western American Western film that's also a horror movie. Like, yeah, let's see what's going on. And it's basically this uh, woman who lives with her husband and they're in a you know small cabin isolated from the town miles away from anybody else and there is a supernatural like demonic horror element to everything and it's it's okay it wasn't what i thought it was going to be and it definitely was not like an eerie mood setter like like something like the witch was you know and uh once again i think that the uh, director behind this film showed a uh, promise her name is emma tammy uh, however, the movie was a bit of a letdown uh, for me. And then last but not least, yesterday, I was one of the uh, early people who saw Shazam, which is the upcoming uh, DC film that's going to be released in about two weeks time. And reviews are currently up for that. So there's no embargo. Uh, I haven't r- written my review yet. I'll probably get it up sometime early this week. But for me, Shazam was a movie that mixed very conventional superhero tropes with very unconventional superhero tropes. So, like, if you think about it in a way that Deadpool 
is kind of a meta superhero film that is very self-aware of its genre. Shazam is basically that, but for the family-friendly crowd, if that makes sense. You know? So the crude jokes and all that are kind of not really there. And it's fun, you know? It's light. It's entertaining. Um, It reminded me a lot of a film from earlier this year, The Kid Who Would Be King, in the sense that, you know, this is a movie that's not meant to be taken 100% seriously. And it's just light fun, you know, and you can really give yourself over to it and have a good time with it if you allow yourself to. Me, I did find it to be a little silly at times, but that's because, once again, it's geared towards, uh, you know, more mainstream, younger audience. But I'll tell you this much, the 13-year-old me would have loved the hell out of this movie if it was released back then, (laughs) you know? So I I definitely get the appeal, and I can understand why a lot of people are really, really loving it. It's got really great reviews so far. Uh, But for me, it, it was... You know, it's good. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible, and it wasn't in the middle. I would say it's probably I'm leaning more towards a seven out of ten for this one. All right. Well, I'm sure that'll do pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. No. So there was definitely a lot going on this week for sure. Uh, next week, my schedule is a little bit lighter, thank God. <laughs> but uh, there's always new content coming out all the time to check out. You know. And speaking of which, we haven't really touched upon uh, what's going to be happening with next year's Oscar season all that much outside of uh, talking about Sundance uh, from earlier this year and some of the film titles that we saw that emerged from there that could contend. So I figured uh, this would be a good time, Michael, for you and I to talk about some of the movies that will be in contention for next year's Oscar season, uh, or at least we think they will be in contention for next year's Oscar season. And, uh, you know, figured that you and I could maybe just go through some of the titles that we're really, really anticipating, uh, who looks like they're going to be, you know, contenders for the acting categories and things along those lines. So uh, some of those movies, actually, uh, you know, we got a trailer uh, for one of them that we're going to be talking about a little later. So why don't we actually just start off with that film without maybe giving a little bit too much away in regards to the trailer. Uh, Once Upon a Time in America. Quinn Tarantino. No. I'm sorry, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, I'm sure that mistake's going to get made a lot, right? <laughs> but um, let's let's really think about this. You know, uh, Tarantino has had really great success at the Oscars with a lot of his movies in recent years, and he's making a movie about Hollywood, which typically Hollywood tends to like, you know, with the artists and Birdman. So do we think that this could be... Uh, a scenario where Tarantino strikes gold once again with picture and director nominations. We'll see. We'll see what happens here. Uh, we got the first look at the trailer this week, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. But, you know, I think it's too early to say. We, we know that this movie is going to premiere at Cannes Film Festival, and then it's going to open in late July. And Glorious Bastards open in August. So that doesn't necessarily hurt it. I know they wanted to line it up with, like, the 50th anniversary of all these events surrounding the film. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what he has. I'm always excited for the latest Tarantino movie. And the first trailer was pretty good. So I'm very excited to see this. And yeah, there is a world where it breaks into picture, maybe, or acting categories. I'm sure it's going to get a lot of tech love. It looks like they did great recreations of 1960s Los Angeles. So Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that trailer uh, in a little bit more detail later on. Uh, branching off of that, what's an Oscar contender that you're looking forward to, Michael? Well, it's funny because this whole thing, the early contenders, this is my bread and butter. This is why I'm with the site. Uh, I started building these lists in the middle of uh, the previous Oscar season because I started to look ahead like in November of the year before. Wow. The year prior to see what we have on the horizon. 
So I have this list, and I've been updating it recently to see what we have. And it looks like Fox Searchlight, the same Fox Searchlight that is now part of the Disney Corporation, has a number of films this year that will contend. And we know Fox Searchlight, they're the heavy hitters. They always have a film in the hunt. And right now it looks like they have three that they're going to have up for Oscar consideration. Now, I don't know if they're all going to stay in 2019. Some may be pushed back. Some might prove not to be contenders at all. But from my estimation, I see uh, Lucy in the Sky, which is another trailer we're going to be talking about later. Nomadland, the new Chloe Zhao movie with uh, mm-hmm. Francis McDormand and, and David Strathairn. And the new Taika Waititi movie, Jojo Rabbit, which I've heard is playing very well to test audiences. Oh, but what about um, Ford versus uh, Ferrari? That's a 20th Century Fox film, that, isn't that, it? That's 20th Century Fox, not Searchlight. Oh, oh okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's, that was actually supposed to come out in June, but then they pushed it to November, which makes it seem like it is a big contender. Sure, sure. I mean, the ones you just mentioned, too, they definitely have uh, the talent tied to it. So from a pedigree standpoint, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, so they really stand out to me. Of course, the Irishman, Netflix is behind that. We saw the oh. teaser during the Oscars. I'm sure they're going to go full out there. I, I definitely think that, you know, my, my biggest fear about the Irishman, honestly, and I, I swear, like, this is something I should not be thinking about, but I totally am because I just, this is the world we live in. I can't help but film Twitter is going to start this narrative of, do we really want to reward a movie made by a bunch of old white men? Don't get them ideas. I, I, I'm just saying, like, that's, <laughs> that's like that's the thing that I, I, I'm, like, preparing myself mentally for because, obviously, you all know I stan Martin Scorsese so much. He's my favorite director of all time, you know? It's a Scorsese movie. It's going to be in the conversation. Even if it's not like picture and acting, you know, you still have this. This might be visual effects because of the DA. Oh, this could be a Benjamin Button scenario where it wins both makeup and visual effects. Possibly. We'll we'll see what happens here, but I'm sure it'll be in the conversation. You have that. You have Greta Gerwig's Little Women. I'm sure. Oh, I can't wait for that. Although I have to say, I'll be curious to know if uh, some of the people that labeled The Star is Born as being kind of like a lazy uh, movie on Bradley Cooper's part because it was an adaptation of an adaptation. And it was like, you know constantly being remade i wonder if she's going to face similar criticism for and i guess it really just comes down to the the uniqueness of the vision that she brings to it you know what i mean however that cast is so incredible so i i definitely have high hopes for it but i'll, I'll be very curious to see if it suffers a similar uh backlash of being compared to the previous adaptations you have 1917 from san mendes yes which he has not been involved uh you know, a Skyfall excluded. I mean, Sam Mendes is a name that it's like he's always on the border of being in the conversation, but it's like certain elements of his films are. And he himself has not been in. He hasn't been nominated since American Beauty. Yeah, well, this is a big World War One epic. So maybe he'll be back in the director's race, which we get a lot of World War Two films, but we don't necessarily get a lot of World War One. So that'll be interesting to see a uh, fair and balanced. The Fox News movie. Yes. By Jay Roach that has huge 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 ensemble cast you know that could be vice it could be trumbo it could be i mean i don't know it looks good i mean on paper it sounds pretty good i agree i agree uh, maybe it's like hair and makeup or maybe we see some acting nominees maybe it goes all the way you know very interesting of course ford versus ferrari you know you have uh that's christian bale and matt damon but the one that really sounds interesting to me there i don't know how big his role is you have Tracy Letts as Henry Ford. Yeah. That seems like a supporting nomination if he has some juicy scenes. I mean, Tracy Letts has been doing some really killer support work in a lot of different films to the point where 
I have to imagine there's a nomination coming his way at some point. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. there were people talking him up, even though he wasn't in it so much, Lady Bird. He was terrific in Lady Bird, and he's a Tony winner. He's married to Carrie Coon. People know who he is. He's a really respected actor's actor. Right. Yeah, that, that's going to happen soon. So if he has enough scenes as Henry Ford, and everyone knows the history of Henry Ford. You know who's somebody that you can't discount uh, in the Oscar race? I mean, let's face it, almost every single one of his films gets involved at some point or another. And usually whenever he's involved in the Oscar race, things get a little wacky. What about Ang Lee? Yeah. Gemini Man. Yeah, Ang Lee. Oh, it seems like his movies lately are just more excuses for him to experiment with technology. Sure. So I don't know if that's going to be an above the line contender, but maybe visual effects or something else below the line. You know, it sounds like mm-hmm. there's some really unique things there. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, you know, that's definitely one to look out for. And of course, uh, after Can You Ever Forgive Me this year, Marielle Heller is uh, priming up to have, I hope, one hell of a great year with A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Also piggybacking off of uh, the success of Won't You Be My Neighbor. You know, when you have Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers. Yes, you know, I'm, I'm, I am so ready for this movie. So ready for this. The only thing that gives me a little pause, and I might be reading way too much into this, mm-hmm. is that it's being released under the TriStar label. Okay. Which doesn't necessarily mean anything. You know, Baby Driver was TriStar. But a lot of the TriStar movies tend to be a little lesser within the Sony canon. Like, okay. I, I loved the movie Ricky and the Flash, for instance. But that obviously didn't go anywhere in terms of awards. They didn't even campaign that for awards consideration. So I don't know if TriStar is this place where they dump movies that they don't think are going to do as well, but they also moved it to Thanksgiving weekend, which is a prime spot. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking way too much about that. But, you know, Tom Hanks and Mr. Rogers, who doesn't want to see that? Exactly. You know, a director whose films are always involved in some way, shape or form or another uh, is Tom Hooper. And he has his version of Cats coming this year. Now, listen, Tom Hooper's films, you know, King Speech, Les Miserables, and uh, his last one, The Danish Girl, all got nominations. Uh, each film a little less so than the last one. Not just nominations, each has an acting win. Yeah, that's, oh, that's a good point. But Cats, I feel like if if there's going to be a flop in Hooper's filmography, this could potentially be it. Uh, however, the track record is there, so we got to take it seriously. Cats will get below the line, love. That I'm sure of. You think so? I've heard the visual effects in this movie are like Avatar level game changers. Well, we'll wait and see on that one because, I mean, Tom Hooper has never been a visual effects kind of director. That, that's the rumor I've been hearing. But Cats is you either love or you hate Cats. There's no plot to Cats. It's literally like two hours of Cats introducing themselves. And the songs are pretty catchy, but it's not great art. Or anything like that. Well, do you think they might take some liberties with the screenplay to give it a bit more of a story? I do exactly what's been on stage for the last 30 plus years. Well, and that's what leads me to believe that it could potentially not land with critics. No, this movie's going to get butchered by critics. I could tell you that right now. Oh, so then why are we even talking about it? (laughs) And then Jennifer Hudson sings Memory, and maybe she'll get supporting actress talk at the Golden Globes or something. There's a movie from Netflix, though. It's called The Last Thing He Wanted, and it's the new D. Reese movie. Oh, yes. And I want to read this little synopsis of it because it sounds like there's a lot of potential here, especially for one actor in particular. A journalist, journalist played by Anne Hathaway, stops her coverage of the 1984 U.S. presidential election to care for her dying father, played by Willem Dafoe. So are you implying that Anne Hathaway is coming for another nomination? 
I've been playing that Willem Dafoe may be coming for a win over and supporting. You know what? After Florida Project and that uh, nomination for At Eternity's Gate, which, you know, the buzz on that was pretty much non-existent. I do believe that there is a block within the Academy that genuinely wants to see him win. In a Netflix film directed by Dee Reese based on a novel by Joan Didion. Yeah, that's one to look out for. That's that's definitely one to look out for. That'll probably drop in the fall. And also, is it Ben Affleck tied to it as well? Yes, Ben Affleck is in it. Wow. Yeah. So that's really one to watch. Uh, Harriet, the Harriet. Oh, yeah. Cynthia Erivo. She's definitely got Best Actress buzz already tied to her. The Report, which I know you saw at Sundance. Which I still don't think is going to be a big deal outside of maybe Driver and Lead. Yeah, I have that in my second tier predictions, but it's still something that I think we could talk about. Amazon picked it up and they're probably saving it for the late fall. Yeah. Uh, Ad Astra, if it ever comes out. I don't know what the deal is there. That was supposed to open in December, then it was pushed to May, and we we don't have anything of in terms of marketing for it. So I don't think that's still happening. I mean, I, I let me tell you, out of all the movies listed, maybe other than The Irishman, uh, Ad Astra is the one that like my interest is so, so peaked on it because James Gray, uh, you know, with Lost City of Z, if that had better distribution, that could have landed in some categories. And I just feel like he is on the verge of having that one movie. It's like David Lowry. Yeah. David Lowry, I think, is just on the verge of finding that one movie that just it just strikes. You know, you also have uh, I know you love this movie at Sundance loose. I can't wait for people to see it. Oh, my God. A release date this past week. Yes. Oh, it's going to be in August. But, you know, hey, the help was in August. Black Uh, Klansman. Julia and Julia got Meryl Streep the nomination. Uh, You know, August is not a death slot. No, not at all. And I'll tell you, loose has got the goods. I, I mean, as long as people see it, that movie is such a showstopper. It it was I, I still am like gushing over it in every p- possible sense. I love that movie. Yeah. And the, the last one I'll mention is something I've heard a rumor about this, that Netflix is going to put a lot of money behind this and make it a uh, big priority along with the Irishman. And that is the new Noah Bumbach movie. Which he's somebody who, once again, he keeps getting close, it feels like, but nothing ever seems to really land. And I think that's because of the scope of his projects. It's like he either needs to do, in my opinion, really hard drama like Manchester by the Sea, or he needs to kind of widen his scope a little bit, maybe in his storytelling, because his movies are good, but they're just looked at as these small, light indie films. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But uh, word on the street here, and again, this is all just hearsay at the moment, right? is that Laura Dern has a really big, juicy supporting role. I have heard that. And I have heard that Netflix is definitely going to push her pretty hard. So uh, another uh, one to look out for. And, you know, it's interesting. I've been hearing conflicting reports about this based on the source material is the woman in the window. You know, it's uh, Joe Wright. Can't ever discount Joe Wright. You know, with Atonement, Darkest Hour. And then you also have uh, in the lead role, Amy Adams, who everyone is clamoring for her to get a win. On paper, that sounds like a contender, but... I would be really hesitant going forward. Well, but let me put it to you this way now. If this year taught us anything, (laughs) it's that your movie can be vilified and completely shunned out by a segment of the critical community. And yet, if there's a narrative there, it could still happen. (laughs) Maybe she'll do the uh, award season run where it's just her and she's so good and undeniable. But as for the movie itself, uh, I don't know. There's some stuff going on with the author of that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't necessarily know the extent of the story, but apparently 
people aren't too fond of him. Yeah. So I don't know what that's all about but you know i'm sure we'll hear more as the season goes along here's an awards friendly release date for something that uh has got a lot of people interested knives out ryan johnson's uh film yeah i don't know what that's going to be like it could be just a fun uh it's not a caper it's uh well this this cast is pretty extensive you have chris evans daniel craig lakeith stanfield christopher Plummer, jamie lee curtis tony collette michael shannon like that's insane. Frank Oz. And it, yeah, and it seems like more people are being added to it all the time. <laughs> That's, it is one to watch. You know, maybe he'll get a sc- screenplay nomination. Maybe there's some performances in there. It's too early to tell for something like that. I'm getting down to my last ones here. Uh, we're also looking forward to uh, The Goldfinch from uh, John Crawley. Please date, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's been moved up to September. Okay. I mean, still, September, October, that's not a bad uh, slot to be in. The whole release map has been shifted in the last five years or so. Like, September used to mean, oh, you're not good. You're not worthy enough to be in the October, November corridor. We're dumping you here. That's not the case. And I have to ask, too. You know, with the Oscars next year being held earlier, I mean, that probably explains a lot of the shifts in release dates, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. There are movies that want to get out, you know, early for SAG and Golden Globes if they're all moved. and. You know, everything is different next year, so studios are going to have to take that into account. Yeah, but uh, Crowley's last film was Brooklyn. Uh, This film is shot by Roger Deakins. It's got Ansel Elgort, Jeffrey Wright, Nicole Kidman, Sarah Paulson, and Amazon Studios is going to be distributing it. So, you know, they've they've proven to do pretty well. Uh, What else we got? You have early movies, too, like Yesterday, Rocket Man, Late Night. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we still don't know what the status is going to be on stuff like, say, uh, Yesterday, Danny Boyle's uh, latest film. We don't know, like, because that, that could be like a crowd pleaser type of movie that just captures everyone's hearts, you know, Absolutely. for all we know. Like that, that has globes written all over it. Mm-hmm. Rocket Man, like you said before, same thing, globes written all Rocket over it. Rocket Man, which I read this morning, is most likely going to get an R rating. Which is totally fine, you know. I don't see an issue with that. Uh, Dr. Fletcher was insistent that a few controversial scenes, uh, not controversial, but I guess Paramount called them controversial. Uh, Paramount wanted to cut them, and Dexter Fletcher was like, no, 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 they stay in. So, Good for him. As a result, it looks like it's going to get an R rating, which, you know, that's fine. What about, um? this might be a little bit of a stretch, maybe, but what about Terrence Malick's new film? No. Terrence Malick. Well, I, I, that he I say this because supposedly it has a plot. Well, then... He needs to do a lot of convincing at this point. Well, because well, let's, let's take a step back, though, and like, look, at the, look at it from this perspective. You know, the Fin Red Line did very, very well. Uh, and then Tree of Life also got him in there as well. Since then, you're right. It's been, what the hell are you doing, Terrence Malick, after what the hell are you doing, Terrence Malick, effort? <laughs> you know, it's just been completely ridiculous, I feel like, with some of his uh, experimentation. Uh, but if he's going back to having some sort of a plot with his film, if it's beautiful enough and if the story, you know, connects with people, I could definitely see, you know, that lone director nomination slot. I mean, clearly he's respected within the Academy. That movie has the potential to premiere a can. Right. And make a name for itself and then go through the fall festivals. And if that were to happen, then I would reassess. But at this yeah. point, I really need to know that this is more than just his experimental nonsense. Also, too, uh, just getting away from maybe from the picture conversation into some individual acting uh, scenarios here, I do have to say, 
I kind of believe Zac Efron could get nominated for Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. That movie's going to be pretty big when it hits on Netflix because yeah. people love these true true crime murder mystery documentaries and things like that. Netflix already had the Ted Bundy one this year. So if they save this until September, October, and make a whole big to-do in the way that Netflix does, mm-hmm. then I could see that. I just want to know the strategy before I put anything down on paper. I think they're going to take the Robbie Malik strategy, honestly. You know, uh, not to say that Rami Malek is, I think Rami Malek's a better actor than Zac Efron, but I do believe that even if there's a divided reaction, uh, there could be kind of a, hey, here's this young, exciting, uh, you know, good looking actor that we, you know, want to elevate to the, to the big leagues. You know what I mean? Yeah, we'll see. And he's been around for a while. You go back to High School Musical. That was 2006. I mean, people know who Zac Efron is. Yeah. Uh, Alfre Woodard for uh clemency yes i have her in my uh i don't want to say predictions for actress because i'm not really predicting anything now not exactly now we're just spitballing here i have natalie portman for lucy in the sky up there because you gotta take you gotta take her seriously you you have to right has been doing this thing and i just noticed that it was a whole trend this year where in 2017 we got the trailer for three billboards like the third week in march and then in 2018 we got the first trailer for can you ever forgive me the third week in march and then this year, we got a first trailer for a Fox Searchlight movie, the third week in March. Hmm. Isn't that strange? Yeah. So it's like they drop what they think is going to be one of their top contenders, a trailer for that early in the year, but they don't really list a release date. Hmm. So this doesn't have a release date either, Lucy in the Sky, but Natalie, per- Natalie Portman certainly looked good enough. So maybe they're just waiting to say, oh, this is going to be a Telluride or Toronto, and then decide what to do with it later on. But she's someone who, you know, obviously has a lot of goodwill. Absolutely. And then uh, we also have, uh, this is the last one I've got on my list here, uh, the the Aeronauts, it's called. It's uh, the repairing of Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones uh, since the uh, the Fury of Everything. And they're pay, uh, playing uh, pilot Amelia Wren and scientist James uh, Glashier as they find themselves in an epic fight for survival while attempting to make discoveries in a hot air balloon. Oh. Could be visually appealing, at least. Who's directing that? Uh, Tom Harper, who hasn't really had the most successful directing career, although he has directed episodes of Peaky Blinders and War and Peace. Is he the evil cousin of Tom Hooper? Ah, maybe. I don't know. So do you have any any, any others? or? Uh, I'm looking at my list. I named all the top tier ones uh, so far. You know, last this point last year, we didn't know that Green Book existed. So, you know, take everything we say now with a grain of salt. Of course. What about uh, Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems, the Safdie Brothers' new film? I think Safdie Brothers are film Twitter popular and not Academy popular, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, it does. But what about just the idea of Sandler himself, you know, going in a more dramatic route? Look, Adam, Adam Sandler has been very good in many dramatic films, and but I just don't know that it's going to happen with him in the Academy. Yeah. I think they still view him through the Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore lens. Yeah. Okay. But look, looks like we have a strong year ahead of us. Uh, Jojo Rabbit is one I'm really interested in. Like, I, that was one of the first that I mentioned. That's mm-hmm. either going to be a really big crowd pleaser that people love and the test audiences were right about, or it's just going to be this controversial piece of garbage that people just want to bury. Yeah. But I, they're going to walk a tightrope there. And, you know, I, I, I trust Taika Waititi here. I don't think they're going to make a film that's going to be insulting just for the sake of being insulting i think it is gonna have a purpose to it if you don't know he's playing 
a comic version of Adolf Hitler. Which in today's climate is a very risky thing to do. But I think there's a purpose for having that character. It's not just, oh, hey, we're playing Hitler here. Like, you know, if Mel Brooks was able to pull it off with the producers, I think Taika Waititi might be doing something in a similar vein. Right. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Well, uh, let's move over to talk about some of the trailers uh, that released this week here. Uh, some of them are some of the titles that we've already discussed in this opening segment. So uh, why don't we first move over to our thoughts on the new 824 film, a film that I had the privilege of seeing at Sundance called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Let's take a look. We built these ships. Dreads these canals. In the San Francisco they never knew existed. This is our home. You two stick together. I always come back to the old house. What if it's empty? What if we just peeked inside? We could throw parties. You can put on one of your plays. We can yell. It is this house. Our house. That's not your old house and that's not your neighborhood. Hey, if you're going to San Francisco, be sure to my second favorite film of the year right behind loose well it, it's a pretty good trailer and you know a24 tends to have great trailers just to be very clear this is a nine out of ten film from me did, did this michael as far as a directorial debut goes this is one of the most exciting directorial debuts i have ever seen uh just this filmmaker joe talbot has so many visual instincts with this film that i think are clearly on display in this trailer uh, a word that got used a lot was gorgeous to describe not just the mood, uh, the visuals and the music, but like that's how it feels the entire movie. I mean, this movie was a complete stunner in terms of its beauty. So I- I'm very, very excited for everybody to check it out. It's very, very well constructed. I think that some people might have some issues maybe with uh, some aspects of the screenplay, uh, but like and I do remember there were some complaints that maybe it goes on a little too long at Sundance and there was like some pacing issues. But 
man, oh man, just in terms of introducing a new filmmaker to our current landscape, like this, this was, and the two actors too, Jimmy Fields and Jonathan Majors, uh, they just knock it out of the park. Hey, you know, the one thing that came to mind watching this trailer was not, aside from the fact that it looked really good was, oh, indie spirits are going to eat this up. Oh, I think so. I definitely think so. And, you know, there was a lot of comparisons to if Beale Street could talk in the visual sense, uh, what I saw on film Twitter. And, uh, you know, it's funny that you say that because obviously if Beale Street could talk did very well at the indie spirits this year. So <laughs> uh, it, it's a very it, it's a very exciting film. I'm, I'm very, very, very curious to know what the rest of the world thinks about it. But those of us who had the chance to see it at Sundance definitely had glowing praise for it. So on Rotten Tomatoes right now at the moment, it stands at an 88 percent with 34 reviews with a uh, no average score just yet. And that's opening in June or July, right? Supposedly it's coming out, I believe, June. I think it's June 14th, I think. That, yeah, because then A24 has the farewell in July. Right. And, you know, I have to admit, I don't think this film is going to do well uh, come Oscar time, much in the same way something like Blind Spotting uh, did not seem to land. And I think that's going to be attributed to its release date. Uh, but I do believe that with critics, the indie scene, uh, year end, best of lists, things like that, I do believe that this could follow a similar trajectory as Blind Spotting did last year. Okay. Uh, so then moving on from that, uh, now we're going to just talk about the polls. Uh, so for last week's poll for the movie Us, we asked everybody, which is their favorite doppelganger or double film? And we had a lot of different options to choose from here because I added that or piece in there. So winning the poll with 43 votes, Black Swan was everyone's choice for the best doppelganger or double film and then in second place uh we have vertigo with 28 votes tied for third place between mahal and drive and the prestige with 27 votes in fourth place with 25 votes we have moon and then in fifth place with 24 votes we have denis villeneuve's enemy how far down was the parent trap? Oh, Michael, I, I uh, that was one of the ones on last week's show where I said to myself, remember you guys pointed out that it wasn't on there? I didn't have it on there. Oh, okay. I, I remember Will mentioned it. And it was a total, total, like, uh, you know, oversight on my part. So I, I unfortunately did not uh, have that listed. Uh, adaptation uh, came in sixth place, though, uh, with 20 votes. So... Which is, which, which is personally my favorite. I love Nicolas Cage's performance in that movie so much. And then now for this week, uh, as we are anticipating Tim Burton's remake of the Disney animated film Dumbo. Which is pretty good from what I hear. I know. I can't wait to see it. Uh, we are asking everyone which is their favorite Disney live action remake of their own animated films. And we have 101 Dalmatians. And by extension, 102 Dalmatians is also listed. Alice in Wonderland, Alice Through the Looking Glass, Beauty and the Beast, Christopher Robin. Cinderella, Dumbo, the, the, the newest one, obviously, uh, The Jungle Book from 1994, and The Jungle Book from 2016, Maleficent, and Peach Dragon. So, uh, Michael, I'm going to take a wild guess and say yours is Beauty and the Beast. It is Beauty and the Beast, but it's actually really <laughs> close. You know, yeah. I, I loved what Bill Condon did with Beauty and the Beast two years ago. I thought it was a terrific live-action remake of what was already a masterpiece. But, you know, I really love... Uh, 101 Dalmatians. Oh, man. Isn't Glenn Close so much fun in that? She deserved a nomination for that. Didn't she get a Golden Globe nomination? She did. She, that was a crazy year at the Golden Globes. It was her, uh, Madonna for Evita, and Frances McDormand for uh, Fargo. Wow. <laughs> yeah, 
big category that here, but uh, I think she is so terrific. She carries a lot of that movie. It's a pretty fun movie aside from just her, but she just chews up the scenery. And then the second one, 102 Dalmatians, got a costume design nomination. Oh, wow. Very well deserved. So I think my favorite is probably, it's close between Cinderella and The Jungle Book, but I think I'll say The Jungle Book. Jungle Book is stellar. Yeah, I, I think I really just liked how in terms of using, you know, the filmmaker's toolbox to present a unique and new vision of a movie that definitely, you know, is not the best in the animated, uh, you know, Disney canon, but is something that I, I just feel like this new version really improved upon that original so much so that I have to give it the uh, the edge here. So I'll, I'll go with that for now. I'm really curious, though. I mean, because with this year, not only do we have Dumbo, but we're also going to have The Lion King. We're going to have Aladdin. You know, we got another uh, Maleficent apparently coming out next year. <laughs> this year. <laughs> what? Was, I thought it was, it was next year. October. Get out of here. Yeah. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Oh, fooey. <laughs> oh, man. It was moved from May to October. I'll tell you, it's, it's interesting, though, because I do have to ask myself, at what point do, do we turn around and like, just ask ourselves, like, does Disney, are they relying on this formula too much? Well, would you like to know why the, Malef- the Maleficent movie was moved up to this year? Yeah, sure. There's a pretty good theory out there Mm -hmm. that they're trying to get all their big titles done this year ahead of Disney Plus. Ah, that makes sense. That does make a lot of sense that they're all on there by the time it launches. You have the Lion King, you have Dumbo, you have Aladdin, you have a new Maleficent. You have all these movies already on the platform by the time they launch. Let's keep the conversation with Disney for a second here. Obviously, this week we saw the acquisition finally take place uh, between Disney and fox so that's completely over fox is now a part of the disney umbrella at this point and unfortunately we had our first victim of that acquisition and it looks like fox 2000 the uh uh, the distribution piece of fox that uh gave us films such as hidden figures the devil wears prada uh what were some other ones well they actually have the woman in the window so i think that's gonna be their last movie Mm-hmm. But in recent years, The Hate You Give, Love, Simon, The Mountain Between Us, uh, Hidden Figures, uh, Bridge of Spies. Uh, I think that was actually a co-production, Bridge of Spies, but nonetheless, uh, I'm just going up the list here. Fault in Our Stars, The Monuments Men, The Book Thief, The Counselor. You know, movies like that. Movies that were studio releases, but still in the mid-budget range. And a lot of them dealt with some pretty thoughtful issues, like The Hate You Give and Hidden Figures. You yeah, know, They were... Smart movies for mainstream audiences, and right. we don't get nearly enough of them anymore, and it's a shame to see them shudder. Now, are we afraid now for the livelihood of Fox Searchlight after something like this? In the long run, I'm going to say no, because I think with this acquisition, as much as Disney wants to you know, be the, the big giant of the industry, they also want to still have that level of prestige to some degree or another. And I think Fox Searchlight brings that are you also i have to ask are you at all afraid of disney getting too big that i i i have to ask like is our entire entertainment landscape going to be just disney at a certain point look i can't look into the future like that and of course i'm afraid that disney is going to get too big you know our friend will mavity was saying that he thinks they're going to take take on warner brothers one day you know it's going to be warner brothers and fox in the all in house at Disney, which is crazy to think about. You know, it would complete Will's prophecy that the theatrical experience 
will then be ruled by these big budget blockbuster type films. I mean, you already have Disney doing Marvel, Star Wars, and if they keep on acquiring uh, these other companies, they'll have the properties to pretty much almost everything. And so if that were to happen, then we would really, really truly see uh, what he has been going on about for a while, which is the movie-going experience will essentially just be these big budget films and everyone else is going to flock over to either television, Netflix, uh, and you're going to just see the mid-budget uh, dramas or the independent films be exclusively streaming and no longer in theatrical uh, That's settings. That's Spielberg and Lucas have been predicting for years. And, you know, yeah. look, we're a step closer to it now. All the right. movies like that you would see from Sony Pictures Classics, like A Private Life or something like that, they'll go to Netflix. Yeah. Do you, are you in favor of that, or am I in favor of that? Yes and no. No, because I did like going to the theater to see them with the crowd. But yes, because now I could just watch them and not wait three weeks for them to come out to the suburbs. And you know, people in the middle of the country who don't normally get those movies can now get them the same time everyone else does around the world. Yeah, see, I'm conflicted because I mean, I do get those movies first where I live in New York, so. I have a different take there. I also find it incredibly hard to watch stuff from home all the time. I know some people find it very easy and they think it's convenient. I get distracted very, very easily. So I typically need to be in a dark movie theater where having your phone out or something like that is completely uh, looked down upon and I'm forced to then pay attention to the screen. You know what I mean? I don't mind watching at home. I think sometimes it depends on the movie, though. Today, for instance, I had plans earlier this morning to go see Gloria Bell. Mm -hmm. And I had a very busy week this past week, and I just wanted the morning to relax. I've been on my feet running around, and I just didn't feel like going out to the movie theater this morning, even though that would be sitting down still. You know, you're comfortable at home. You don't necessarily feel like going out sometimes. Yeah. If Gloria Bell were on Netflix, I would have watched that this morning. Yeah. As it is, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday as we're recording this. I still haven't seen the movie. Right. So... All right, well, let's keep the conversation here with Fox Searchlight and Walt Disney. Let's talk about Lucy in the Sky, a trailer that was released this week starring Natalie Portman, uh, directed by Noah Hawley. And let's take a look at this trailer and see what we think. Specialist. Lucy. Time to wrap it up. We're going home. Go, Polaris is go. We are all green. Lift off in ten. Nine. Just feel a little off. Eight. Go up there, you see? Seven. The whole universe. Six. And everything here looks five. Four. So small. Three. Two.
I'm fine. <laughs> so, Noah Hawley, Matt, did you watch Fargo? Oh, of course I did. I watched the first season and a little bit of the second, and then I gave up in the middle of the second, and then I tried a little of the third, and I gave up in the middle of the third. And there's <laughs> something about the tone that didn't click with me. Okay. But I think he's a smart guy. I mean, I mean, have you seen Legion? No, I haven't. It's incredible. So you're smart. Smart might be an understatement. <laughs> All that said, this trailer really impressed me. Oh yeah. When I heard about what it was the other day, I thought it was like all science fiction. I was like, yeah, I don't I'm really care. I'm not going to watch that trailer. But then I actually saw it ahead of us, and I thought, oh, this is like a grounded character study, like a human movie. This is why you shouldn't be so judgmental, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, Natalie Portman, who you know has been so good lately. Uh, she looks very impressive here. As I mentioned, I had her on that actress long list. We show, Yeah, I mean, you can never discount her. She's somebody who's consistently great. They're going to have a lot going on with Searchlight, but I think they're going to put a lot behind this one. There's a reason the trailer is out now. You have to believe that there's going to definitely be something there, whether it's with the screenplay, Portman's performance, the technical aspect. I don't think Noah Hawley is heading for a director nomination, but who knows? Who knows? yeah, who knows? I do love that uh, a lot of the television world is uh, included in here with, you know, John Hamm, Zazie Beetz, uh, Dan Stevens, and then you have Ellen Burstyn involved as well. I loved how they did the uh, cast list at the end of the trailer. It started with Academy Award winner Natalie Portman and then ended with Academy Award winner Ellen Burstyn, <laughs> bookended by two Oscar winners. But, you know, there's a lot of really good stuff going on here. I, I'm very, very excited based upon uh, the trailer was weird enough, but also too sort of conventional and also had like an air of mystery to and it. She was doing some accent work there. Mm-hmm. I actually thought it was a period film at first. Maybe it still is. I'm not sure. I'm having a hard time trying to pinpoint exactly when this movie takes place. It looks good nonetheless. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, it's an original uh, work, you know, so I mean, there's definitely something to be said there for the fact that this is, uh, if I remember correctly, I think it's also loosely based on someone. Uh, I can't remember who exactly. Yeah, loosely based on uh, astronaut Lisa uh, Nowak. Okay. So, okay, so loosely based on, all right, so there's something to be, you know, to read into that. I'm not going to do so because I want the movie to surprise me, but I suppose if you look into uh, Lisa uh, Nowak's uh, life, I'm sure we could probably uncover some plot details from that. And her uh, career with NASA was in the mid-90s, so maybe that's when this takes place. Oh, okay, so yeah, there is, so there is a slight period element to it. Okay, makes sense. Okay, well, I'm very, very excited nonetheless. I can't wait to see this one. Uh, definitely looks uh, to be very impressive. Oh, this is interesting. What's that? I'm looking at the Wikipedia page here. Mm -hmm. Guess who produced this movie? Uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Reese Witherspoon. Oh, you're thinking Best Picture nomination for Reese? Well, I don't know if she would be included because remember she did uh, Gone Girl with her company. Uh, mm -hmm. well, I forget the name of her production company, but she was there with... Uh, Gone Girl, and she had Wild that same year. She's been doing a lot of producing. A Big Little Lie she's produced. You know, mm -hmm. She tends to put her name on pretty good projects. I agree. Good projects and hot pursuit. Uh, some other news from this week. Uh, John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, and Elizabeth Debicki were uh, all announced to be cast in Christopher Nolan's upcoming film, which plot details are still pretty scarce on. We're not exactly sure what kind of a movie it is, but it, it, it seems to me that... Uh, <laughs> You know, the combination of names there, uh, it, it feels like the sort of thing that would almost break the hashtag of film Twitter, <laughs> you know, with that many, uh, you know, really well liked 
and respected people all included in the same project. But I think the biggest takeaway here is that John David Washington is going to be uh, Christopher Nolan's first non-white lead. Yeah. Look, it's a new Christopher Nolan movie. Good cast or not, I'm sure everyone would be there opening day. Will you be there opening day? That's what I'm doing that day, but I'll be there opening week, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another uh, casting announcement from this week as well. Emily Blunt is uh, cast in Annapurna's Not Fade Away. Producers include her husband, John Krasinski, and David O. Russell, neither of whom are slated to direct the film. Not to be confused with the David Chase film, Not Fade Away, from 2012. Yeah, not to be confused with that, but... Uh, something to definitely keep our eyes on because once again, after coming so close this year to a nomination, so, so close, we all, we all pretty much know that she was right there. Emily Blunt has to get a first nomination at the Oscars at some point. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about getting Amy Adams a win. She's had plenty of nominations. What does Emily Blunt have to do just to get at least a nomination? Emily Blunt is probably going to be one of those people that their first nomination is also their win. I agree. She is so loved. Uh, Maybe she'll do Mary Poppins Returns Returns. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, right. There actually is a Mary Poppins sequel, like, in early stages of development, by the way. Why? Because the first one did very, very well, and people loved it, and they want to see another. I mean, mean, it's not a surprise. It did very well. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. All righty. Well, last trailer for this episode. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's ninth film. We're getting close to supposedly what is going to be his last film, number 10. Uh, This one is called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, not Once Upon a Time in America. All right. I got it right this time. And it it also has an all-star cast of uh, characters, including uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Al Pacino. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one and give our thoughts. To my right is Bounty Law series lead and Jake Cahill himself, Rick Dalton. And to my left is Rick stunt double Cliff Booth. So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a a lot of dangerous stuff. Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right. registered as lethal weapons. We get into a fight, I accidentally kill you, I go to jail. Anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life. Like you. Great fucking no. Yeah, I, I said everything when we were talking about this with uh, the Oscar conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, what did you think of this? Well, I do think that on a technical level, I do think that this uh, could be a contender for costumes, art direction, uh, Robert Richardson's photography uh, surprised me maybe a little bit because it doesn't look like it's his natural style. It definitely looks more like they're going for that 70s, you know, aesthetic kind of a look. So 
Robert Richardson definitely tends to do a lot of uh, key highlights and, uh, you know, a lot of blown out lighting. So I'm curious from a visual standpoint what this is going to look like. The black and white uh, opening of the trailer really intrigued me because it leads me to believe that there's going to definitely be uh, some mixture of some black and white footage, maybe sprinkled throughout the movie to give it some visual uh, dynamic. Does Richardson only work with Tarantino now? It certainly looks that way. He has worked with Martin Scorsese before, but Scorsese seems to have moved on from him lately. So the other thing, too, is we didn't really get a sense. I mean, she's in the trailer, but we didn't really get much of Margot Robbie in this as as Sharon Tate. No, but, uh, you know, I don't know what the role the Manson murders plays in this movie. It's not about the Manson murders. It's just having the, ba- that the backdrop. backdrop. Right. So, look, she, I'm sure she'll get her second nomination very soon. She's Margot Robbie. People love her. Yeah. I don't know if this is it or not, but, you know, look, again, this is one of those movies that everyone's going to go see. So the trailer didn't really have to do anything to sell us. I, I will say this. It feels very great to see Leonardo DiCaprio again. I missed him so much. It's been, yeah, it's been four years pretty much since The Revenant. That's that part where uh, the, the girl like whispers in his ear, like, that's the best acting I've ever seen. I, I'm like... I, I thought of like so many different memes for that individual moment. Like I, I, I and I put one on Twitter and I was like, welcome back, Leo. We missed yeah. you. <laughs> oh, so by the way, Robert Richardson actually has done some work since the hateful eight. Didn't oh, he has. He did live by night. That Ben Affleck movie. Oh yeah. That breathe the Andy circus movie that no one saw. Oh yeah. That Adrift from last year with Shailene Woodley. Oh yeah. That and a private war. Oh yeah. That all movies that not many people saw. <laughs> <laughs> so he's kept busy at least yeah, so that's good i didn't realize that i thought he just you know works with scorsese and tarantino yeah well i mean his uh, collaboration with tarantino has been uh, very fruitful for the both of them i mean he's gotten nominations for bastards uh django and for hateful eight so a very deserved win for uh, the aviator Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, any anyone for Hugo. Don't forget too. yes, Hugo. So, I mean, you know, he's been he's definitely been everywhere. Uh, one thing that they haven't announced, they haven't announced things uh, to do with the score or the editing uh, behind his film. So I don't know if uh, his previous editor uh, for Django and uh, Hateful Eight, I'm trying to remember that guy's name, um, Fred Raskin. Yeah, Fred Raskin, Philly guy, by the way. I don't know if uh, if he's back or not. But to be fair, I do believe that the editing of Django and Hateful Eight has actually been the thing that I would probably criticize the most. Yeah, oh, absolutely hate the Hateful Eight. Did you like the Hateful Eight? I liked it, but I didn't love it. The more I'm removed from that movie, I, I, Definitely, I... definitely not high, yeah, definitely not high-end Tarantino for me. Uh, but this, though, you know, like I said, it's going to be great to see DiCaprio back on screen again. He's my favorite actor, and I, I'll see anything that he does. Brad Pitt looks to be having a blast in this. That that fight scene with the Bruce Lee, uh, who 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 by the way, who's playing him again? Um, uh, Mike Mike Mo, uh, his name is. Uh, he looks like he could possibly be maybe the breakout actor from this movie potentially. Um, and I also want to just clarify that that fight scene where everybody was making like a big stink about like, oh, Brad Pitt could never take on Bruce Lee. They're not. In my opinion, for that, they're not fighting for real. They're doing stunt choreography for the oh, movie. Who thought that? No, so many people were making a big stink about it. It was ridiculous. On Twitter, of course. Where else? That stupid, stupid website. <laughs> uh, but some people we didn't see in the trailer. Uh, we have we didn't really get a shot of Damian Lewis. We didn't get a shot of Dakota Fanning, Al Pacino, uh, Bruce Dern, Scoot McNary. I think we saw Emil Hirsch at one point, but I could be wrong. 
I know we saw the guy that's supposed to be playing uh, Charles Manson, uh, Damon Damon Harriman. Uh, his name is. But there's so many actors in this movie. Timothy Oliphant is in this. You know, it's like Burt Reynolds was supposed to be in it, and then he died, and then Bruce Dern was recast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know who else is in it? Who else? Luke Perry. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be his last credited film. Uh, also, too, I mean, who else? Tim Roth, Kurt Russell, Michael Madsen, James Marsden. They're, they're all supposed to have, like, moments in this. It's, it's like, it's insane. <laughs> so the question is, is it going to be, like, another three-hour-long Quentin Tarantino film? Uh, and what is that story going to be like? I mean, to be fair, we don't really know exactly what the story is. But one thing I think is for sure, and I think the most important thing that we are going to get from this is I do believe that this is not going to be, you know, there were some people on Twitter who were also predicting this. Some people were like, oh, I really hope the movie is not revisionist history of like Bruce Lee kicking the shit out of Charles Manson at the end of the film. There is bound to be revisionist history here. I think you need to go into the movie thinking that. I think this is going to be more of a commentary on what Hollywood was like then. And there's going to be a comparison to what Hollywood is like today and how much it has changed or not changed. And I actually do think there's going to be some themes tackled within this, hopefully, hopefully, in a subtle way that resonates with people within the Hollywood community. That's why I think it's definitely in contention to be a major Oscar contender, because the potential to draw parallels between our current industry as it is today and what the past was like, I think it's there. It just depends on how cuckoo wacky Tarantino decides to get with it. We'll see. You know, this is the man who killed Hitler and Inglorious Bastards. Exactly. So. <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, with that said, uh, last now, last bit for this episode, Michael, and then we can go. Uh, we have some fan questions I want to just address here on the show from some people. Uh, so a lot of stuff about next year's Oscars uh, and tying into some of the stuff that we were talking about before. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to, we'll try our best to answer some of these. I mean, obviously we don't really know, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, we have the cinephile light box. Which film do you think has the biggest potential to win the Oscar for best picture next year? What do you have in, what do you have in your number one slot, Michael? Do I really want to say on March 24th? <laughs> well, why not? Who cares? I'm okay. Because I mentioned it earlier and things are just so crazy with the Oscars right now, you know, they may have given it to green book, which was more, uh, you know, conservative last year, but two years ago, they gave it to the shape of water. So this is an Academy that can give it to almost anything. I'm right. just going to go all out and say Jojo rabbit for now, because why, <laughs> why not? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I have nothing to back that up with. I'm just saying it to say it. So believe it or not, I actually do have once upon a time in Hollywood in my number one slot right now for all the reasons that I said before, if Tarantino could strike that balance. Uh, I think that that's a mixture that will be very, very hard to ignore. Uh, so the next question is, uh, from the Gaverits, uh, congratulations guys on your podcast, by the way. Uh, who do you think is the most likely Oscar quote unquote lock from all of the films this year? I know it's early, but what do you think film or performance is such a sure thing for a nomination? Yeah. Tom Hanks. No, I don't think that. Oh, I, I do. Anything, anyone could call Tom Hanks a lock for anything because he hasn't been nominated. In just but that's exactly years. why I think he's a lock. Okay, you said he was a lock in 2013, too, I'm sure, with the rest of us. Of course I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> you would be foolish not to. I am going to say, I don't know if there's a performance I could say. It's way too early for that, but for a film, you know what? Could I do something below the line? Why Back not? Down? That's okay? 
Are you going to say Avengers Endgame for visual effects? Because no, I'll no, laugh. No. I'm going to say uh, <laughs> the Fox News movie, Fair and Balanced, for makeup and hairstyling. Ooh. With only three uh, slots for a nomination there, that's a that's an interesting call. I, I like your uh, confidence there, though. I mean, if we're going to do a below the line, I'll, I'll just say Irishman for visual effects then. <laughs> uh, okay, so then next question. Jefferson Grubbs asks, do you think the Academy will still fine-tune and institute any of the changes they threatened last year, or do you think the uptick in ratings gave us a reprieve from that dreaded popular film category? I don't know if the popular film category is going to happen. I know John Bailey's talked about it that John Bailey will not be around come next year's Oscars. I agree. So I don't know what's going on there. I would not be surprised to see them try to do the uh, categories during commercials in some way, not the way that they proposed last year, but I think they might try to implement it in a different fashion, if that makes sense. Sure. One that doesn't get everyone up in arms. Yeah. Uh, Next one comes from Andrew Purr. Do you see a shift for so- for Fox Searchlight under Disney or status quo for the foreseeable future? So basically, uh, do we see a shift in the kinds of movies that they may produce? Look, I think Fox Searchlight is still going to be around. As for what they distribute, or actually won't be distributing anything, as for the movies they produce, uh, look, we're not going to see anything like that take effect for at least two or three years because there's still a lot of films in early stages of production there. So, you know, I guess it's all going to depend on where Disney is as a corporation then. Mm. So I think it's too early to make a call on that one. (laughs) HLVD movies. I'll answer this one. Do you think Avengers Endgame could be nominated for Best Picture? No, I don't. (laughs) Seconded. (laughs) Sorry. I mean, you know, it's very interesting that it's going to be three hours long. Uh, As somebody who loves the three hour epic. You know, Lord of the Rings is the biggest cinematic influence on my entire life and how I view movies today. Uh, same with other movies like I saw in that era, like Titanic was over three hours long. Schindler's List was over three hours long. Like I I love movies that have a long form storytelling. And I think that's why I am very much attracted to, you know, good storytelling like Game of Thrones, for example. Um, I know Black Panther got nominated last year. I get that. I think what people need to understand is just because Get Out got nominated does not mean us will get a nomination. Just because Black Panther got nominated does not mean Avengers Endgame will get a nomination. It's it, A precedent is not a precedent until it becomes one. And it becomes one when you start to see the trend. You know, it's like Catherine Bigelow won, uh, you know, the Best Director Oscar in 2009. And since then, only Greta Gerwig has gotten a nomination. That's not a trend, unfortunately. You know, a precedent has been set, but there is no precedent that a woman is going to get nominated for Best Director every single year just because it happened once. So we need to see this happening continuously in order to make very solid, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Confident predictions. And the track record for Marvel with the Oscars is it has happened once and they've made, what is it, 21, 22 films, something like that. So the track record is not there. You know, if it does happen again, yeah, maybe we should start taking it a little bit more seriously. Uh, but until then, it's still a genre that I, I I just think that Black Panther was an anomaly because of its cultural significance, ultimately. So, I mean, I'm still very excited for Avengers Endgame. I'm like super excited, but no. And then last question. This one comes from Film and Sports 21, Daniel B. Michael, what is your most hopeful 
prediction for the rest of the film year? It could be Oscar related or specific to an upcoming release. Like, what is the thing you're most hopeful for? What am I most hopeful for? Okay, I'm going to say this at the risk of uh, being a little controversial here, but I think you would agree with me on this one as well. You ready? Yeah. I just need everyone on Twitter to calm down. On film Twitter, on Oscar Twitter, whatever. After what happened last year, everyone was so crazy about everything that happened, sometimes for good reason, other time just to be over the top. I just want everyone to calm down, take a step back, and realize this is all just a hobby. Yeah. You know, it's not going to change. It may change things in the industry, but at the end of the day, you know, it's not the big decisions that we're going to lose sleep over. You know, I, I, I kind of do agree with you on that because, like, for example, Green Book has now won Best Picture. Um, I got to ask myself, like, now here we are three months, two months, whatever it's been removed, not even a month, sorry, removed from that moment. And is my life worse? Did, was it was it worth the stress that I put myself through reading everything I read on Twitter and you know, seeing everybody freak out and everything. No, no, it ultimately was not. And yeah, it's it's not the best look on the Academy that they chose that movie. But life goes on and we have new films constantly coming out every single week, new opportunities being afforded. And there's a lot of stuff to still look forward to. And I think what it just comes down to is, do you want to be optimistic or do you want to be pessimistic about everything? Absolutely. And I think once people take that step back and, you know, bring it down a little bit, I think everything is a lot more enjoyable for that. Well, I mean, that's why part, that's like, that's pretty much why the 2010 Oscar year was so important to me. Um, I was so emotionally invested in wanting the social network to win that when it lost to the King speech, I was so emotionally devastated that it almost impacted like my psyche around everything. And it taught me a very valuable lesson, which is, and, and you know what, like sometimes, you know, I lose perspective in the race. It happens all the time. But you're you're right, Michael, that 2010 taught me how to take a step back and say, the world is not ending. You know? The Academy has a history. A history. Articles have been written about it constantly. Snubs. The, the, when the Academy screwed up. When the, when the Academy awarded the wrong film. This, that, everything. Like, this is not something that's going to ever end. There will always be pendulum swings happening within this institution. Always, you know, just because film Twitter has a presence somewhat in our lives and it, it, it's, it's, it's film Twitter does not rule the academy, you know, they don't. And it, this year we saw so many members and heard reports of so many members basically saying, I'm, t I'm being tired of being told what to do, you know, so. At the end of the day, we may want something to happen, but it's not about what you want to happen. It's what is going to happen. And I do believe that too, Michael, that when you take that step back and you have that perspective, I do believe it becomes a lot more enjoyable, so much more enjoyable. Absolutely. So do I think it'll happen? Not necessarily, but it's what I would like to happen. Of course. But at the end of the day, the films are the films and no, nothing could take that away. I mean, Guillermo del Toro said it best on this year's telecast. The films before, like he said, he came out there and he said before uh, tonight, the movies are still the movies. And, you know, whatever wins, loses tonight, doesn't really matter. You know? And I'm not saying that that's, like, totally true. Like, I do believe awards do matter. Um, they matter. It's selective, right? It matters when it matters. They do matter, but they don't change the world. Yeah, exactly. And if they do change the world, it, it happens, like, in the smallest, smallest bits. And 
like I was saying before, like Black Panther being nominated opens up a door. Uh, Moonlight winning opens up a door. You know, there are these great moments that you could look at as uh, a door opening for more equal opportunity for a lot of different uh, things that we're all clamoring for within this industry. Why? Because at the end of the day, we all crave more varied storytelling. We don't want to see the same stories being told over and over. We want more variety in our storytelling. And if the Oscars can convince, um, you know, the gatekeepers, the ones who actually greenlight these projects to keep telling these kinds of stories, we're all the better for it. That's it. Did I say it well enough? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good note to end on. I think so, too. So, Michael, where can they find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 135 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really, really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can provide to us if you head on over to Patreon. $1 minimum a month will get you some exclusive podcast content. Thank you once again so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Next time.